Hey everybody, how you doing? Coach here. Hey, you know, this time of year was always a very productive and contemplative time of year for me while I was living in USDA's growing zone 9A out there in Northern California. Now, yeah, a much different story. USDA zone 4 slash 3 plus where I'm at now, plenty on the contemplation side, but very little of the season I use to, you know, there's just not a lot to enjoy pruning wise and uh, gardening wise when you've got two and a half feet of snow all over you. So right now, phew, pruning season. Pruning season is the name of the game. And that is what we're discussing today. Pruning season and the next 90 day window, depending on where you live, and this is what we're gonna cover. So I'm darn glad that you're here as always. Let's get going. Hey friends, Maestro here. Just dropping a reminder to check out the podcast description for discount opportunities and any important links. Also, if you're listening to this podcast on a specific app, please don't forget to rate and review the show. It helps us grow and continue to provide these free podcasts. Hey, welcome back as always. You know, pruning is a necessity for many trees, shrubs, perennials, grasses. And depending on where you live, we are now, now, in that 90-day window already for some of you. Zone 11, zone 10, zone 9. Uh, you, guys are, you guys are in that pruning zone. And you guys can do the, the fruit trees, the, the perennials, the grasses, and all the things that could stand to get a little haircut. Not so much where we're at. Not so much. So what does pruning actually do for tree shrubs, grasses, and perennials? Well, fruiting plants like fruit trees, berries, uh, berry shrubs, it becomes a way of shaping, it becomes a way of sizing, uh, strengthening, certainly. Disease prevention or disease removal, it's, uh, it's a way to increase production tenfold. And thinning, thinning for airflow, light penetration, and basically balancing what's above the ground versus what's below the ground. And pruning does exactly that. So when you're looking at some pruning, let, let's take grasses, for example. Grass pruning, for the most part, the way I used to approach it is mainly for hygiene and presentation, but also balancing and creating that regenerative capabilities that come from height reduction, dividing clumps that maybe have gotten too big for the area they originally placed in, and occasionally putting down some slow-release fertilizer for the next growing season. But I did not do it until the later part of my 90-day window when it came to grasses. I would just let them be ugly for the whole winter and early spring. And then, right before I knew that they would start pushing, that's when I went out and gave them a haircut. And I'd cut them down to 18, 24 inches maybe, depending on the variety. Elijah Blue's Festuca, I just gave them a, a baldy sour haircut. I would just clump them up and just give them a haircut around the, the top and clean up around each plant. And if it was the bigger one, like I used to have some uh, Carl Forrester, Calamagrostis, and they got, they got pretty good size. And I would have to come in with power head shears and I would cut them back down to about 24 inches or so. But during the winter, I just let them go ugly, just kind of ignored them. Now, as far as perennials, the benefit to the plant is basically removing the old growth, 
the stuff that was there last year that may have died back down to the ground or whatever, and allowing for that that fresh new growth in the springtime to come back up and not be encumbered by any of the dead growth that's hanging around and then tries to regenerate at the tips. No, it's just all brand new fresh growth. And all the carbohydrates and sugars that have been stored in that root, in that root system for those perennials, now they have something fresh and new to push up into and create a really fresh new look. And that's why perennials always, like I'll, I'll give you a couple examples. I'll give you one glaring example that I used to do all the time. And that was with Tixie, the Coreopsis that I used to grow all the time. Uh, either Moonbeam or what was the other one? Early Sunshine? Early Sunrise. Early Sunrise. And I would cut those back down usually in January, right about now. And then when they pushed out, they always came back just with huge amounts of vigor and huge blooms, especially that first primary bloom, and always benefited from pruning. Now, when it comes to fruit trees and stuff, here's where I could make this a six hour episode, or I could make it less than a half hour episode. There are so many channels and so many episodes on YouTube. All you have to do is identify what you have if you don't know how to prune it. Google search it or YouTube search it, and they will whisk you off into 9,000 versions of how to prune. And most of them are usually within the ballpark of being right. So for me to sit here on a podcast and tell you to, to look for fruiting spurs and leaf spurs and last year's growth versus this year's growth, hey, I could draw this out for a very, very long time. But you guys, as my audience, I know that you're smart people. I know that you're resourceful and that you can find that stuff on your own. But boil it down to this. If you have stone fruits, plums, cherries, peaches, nectarines, or if you have apples, or if you have, like we had almost 90 olive oil producing olive trees at Weed Patch Ranch, know that you can always find a source of education on how to do it and how to do it correctly. Like I knew how to decoratively prune almost anything, but I knew that there was specific types of pruning techniques for the olives. I knew that you had to prune them kind of, kind of vigorously every year or every other year to keep production because the bloom on the, on the olives that we had, Frantoyo, the blooms came on fresh wood. So you had to create as much fresh wood as you could. And you had to keep them at such a size that you didn't have to have 12-foot step ladders to, to harvest. So I learned how to, to prune olive trees correctly. And boy, it was almost like an annual butchering rather than a pruning because those things, they were so happy every year that they would triple in size in one year. And then after harvest in late fall, I would let the trees rest. I would mow the orchard. Rains would come most of the time. And I'd get out there in January. And basically, it was a very uh, cathartic type of chore for me. I'd, I'd put my headphones in, find an audible book, and I would just spend all day out there pruning one row at a time. And it was a lot of work. And most of the time, the pruning chore for me, based on the amount of trees that I had to pay attention to, was well over 100. So it would be six weeks by the time I was actually done, considering weather and other stuff. So, but I enjoyed it. I, I really, really enjoyed it. And after the first season of doing it, 
the reward was greatly obvious. I mean, we had great, great response from everything that we ever touched with a pruning shear. So why do I say the 90-day window? That sounds kind of odd. Well, it's a 90-day on a horizontal sliding scale on the calendar. It's uh, January, February, March in areas of zone 11, 10, 9, maybe even 8 plus uh, when you start getting off into March and stuff. And then for where we're at now, no, nah, the, the, sliding, the sliding 90 day would be almost mid, mid to late March all the way through May. Kind of odd, huh? Because May for me, when I was in NorCal, May was almost summertime. There was times where we had almost 100 degree heat already in May. And it was damn near summer. And you had to have your pruning done way, way back in, you know, mid-January, you know, mid-February at the latest. Because things, especially like if you took, for instance, almond trees and walnut trees, if you had those, I mean, they're pushing in February. They're blooming already. And you're not supposed to be pruning them certainly heavy or anything when they're starting to push. And why? Well, you want that plant to heal up a little bit after you come in and give it a haircut. There's not a lot of sap or anything else up in the growing structure of the trees or shrubs when you do it when they're dormant. But go in there when you already have bud push or blossom. Now you have all the, the sap and the water coming up from the root system, and they're going to leak for a while. And because they're leaking and they're open like that, you expose them to the chances of airborne pathogens. And you don't want that. You want that tissue, that, the tissue of that plant to seal off. For years and years, back in the 70s and 80s when I was in the nursery business, we always sold tree seal. And it really, it's really not necessary. It's a real luxury item, but it's certainly not necessary. And you can let the tree itself do its own repairs. So, you know, for us, it was get out there and prevent the leaking. We didn't want to go so far into the potential of growing season that you prune on a Thursday, you go out there on a Friday and you see this, this water and sap running down the sticks and the twigs and the limbs of what you just pruned. So get out there long before you start getting bud or blossom push for sure. So the, the how to prune, like I said, is a big topic on YouTube and other Google informational platform. You can take care of knowing exactly how to do it. But in a real short summary, the how-tos, learn about, especially if you're doing fruit trees, learn about the fruiting spurs versus the leaf spurs. Know about sucker growth removal. Know about dieback. Know about disease recognition for your specific plant. And you'll be off and running. Just remember, in a dormant tree, depending on whether you're taking uh, first-year growth off or three-year-old growth off, we don't want to do too much more than a third of the plant at any one time. And a third of the plant of a dormant tree, you basically will not shock it. You won't stress it. Now, if you did a third or a half during the growing season, you exposed it to direct sunlight and other stuff, you can get bark burn and other things. So we don't want to do that. So what were my tasks generally? Uh, I told you about the peach trees, nectarines, plums and cherries, apples, olive trees, but I also had lots of perennials. I had roses. I had crepe myrtle. And that was about it. There was a little bit of pruning that I did on ch some chitalpa trees that I had, uh, but that was mainly to keep them in bounds and to keep the, the tree from becoming too top heavy. So taking some of the canopy, thinning it out a little bit. 
And pruning season for me was always January to mid-February. And it was a solid full-time affair. And like I said, over 100 trees by the time I touched everything. And it's very, very enjoyable. It really was. So what about tools? Tools are real simple on the residential level. You shouldn't need too much more than hand pruners and a small pair of loppers. You really don't. And for me personally, mine were always Corona and Felco brand hand shears and loppers. Put a link in the description down in the YouTube channel if you're looking to help us out a little bit. I'll share that with you. I thought they were always high quality tools and made the job very easy. And I took care of what I had. You know, I made sure that during the pruning season, I made sure that they were clean. I made sure that if I got into diseased wood, that I made sure that each cut was taken care of and sterilized through some alcohol. And, you know, just do it right. Learn a little bit about it so it's safe for you. So on the YouTube channel this week, I'm going to talk to you a little bit outside. But honestly, you know, as I sit here recording this podcast, we're talking about three below zero with crystal clear blue skies and about a 10 to 15 mile an hour breeze which brings it back down somewhere around 12 below zero. And I'm just not going to talk too much to you out in that kind of weather. Number one, it's kind of hard to talk in that kind of weather because your jaw freezes up. And the really only thing I have to show you pruning-wise on Brook and Pond right now is elderberry. We have a few elderberry bushes that are out there, and I'll show you those briefly. And by the way, if you do have elderberry and you want to know how to prune them, Simplest way to remember is they flower and fruit on new growth. So if you create more new growth every year, you'll have more blossom and more berry later on. And it's nice if you have two different varieties. They tend to pollinate a lot better. So the 90-day window. If you're in Florida, you should already be rocking. You should be rocking with all kinds of roses and perennials and fruit trees and citrus and all kinds of stuff. If you're more northern, say like the southern tier states, uh, depending on the polar vortex, because it's been wreaking havoc lately, but by February, you should be able to get out there and, and do it. The thing that I would want you to pay attention to a lot is be determinate by weather. You know, if you have a huge rainstorm coming in the next day, don't go out there and you know, butcher everything and expose it to water splash and rain and other bacterial pathogens that could come in. Wait till you have a few days of dry weather. Whether it be cool and cold, that's fine. But uh, don't do it because you just have a free Saturday. Look, look at the weather report and see what you have going on. And also consider your safety. You know, depending on your age, depending on your physical capabilities, you know, you may need a ladder. You just have to work smart. Pruning this time of year is really dependent on a few reasons, safety being one of the top, but uh, taking care of your plant hygiene, soil sloppiness, and the upcoming weather. Judge accordingly. Well, I got this question not too long ago. Well, coach, is that the only time you can prune? No, it is not. Just the safest and most productive time of year and the least stressful to the plant itself is dormant season. I'll give you an example, though, of pruning during the growing season. I'll give you a couple examples, as a matter of fact, and how it actually improves the production if you do it correctly. How about the example of roses? Uh, we probably had about a dozen roses in a rose bed over on the uh, northeast side of Weed Patch Ranch. And I would go out there and not only deadhead them, but I would also thin them and prune them back by about a third after about the secondary bloom. 
I would go back out right before the heat of summer and I would thin them out and boom, boy, would they come flying back just with rave reviews, just raved. I didn't prune them super heavy. I never took probably more than 25% off at any one time, but they were so darn happy that if I didn't, they were going to become, I had some patio trees that I think were uh, knockout roses. I'm not positive on that now, but I think they were knockouts. And then I had some iceberg, some white icebergs. So red and white, basically. But the light pruning and the thinning worked wonders. And it, it created a blooming season that was eight months long. And it really did well. The other thing was my stone fruits. Take, for example, the peaches and nectarines. Now, when they came out in bloom, all the pruning had been done. And when fruit set had taken place and everything was kind of, you can kind of see what your crop was going to be on each tree. And I had the, I had semi-dwarf and ultra-dwarf trees. So I never let them get over really six, seven feet. And they were six and seven feet within four years of putting them in the ground. So I would go out there after fruit set and I would start doing some of the fruit thinning so that I, I mean, you have 300 peaches setting on one tree. By the time that would have come to ripeness, it would have broke branches and it would have created a huge stress on the plant. And not only that, but your peaches would have been, you know, half the size that they could have been. So I would do a lot of thinning and then I would come through as the fruit that was going to be grown to fruition, I would come in there and thin out the tree thin out the canopy so that there was plenty of sunlight that came down into the plant. Air circulation went through the plant. And I always had small baseball, tennis ball size minimum, baseball size usually, uh, as far as peaches and nectarines. It, it was fantastic. But during the growing season, I never took off probably more than 10% of the tree. And it was all leaf area, period. I never had I'm trying to think. I never had broken branches or anything that got so heavily laden. I almost had plum tree that did that. And I learned really quick and got to it before it was actually happening. Uh, I had to take one branch out because it got so heavy it started to crack. So I just removed it. But the peaches and nectarines loved that growing season pruning. And then, you know, we enjoyed harvest anytime from late June all the way till September. And it was so bountiful bountiful to the point where after canning and fresh fruit and pies and giveaways to friends and neighbors, and we still had too much. And we ended up having to get rid of a lot of it, which was sad, but I'd rather have that than have very little or useless fruit at all. So let's wrap this up, shall we? Pruning season is here for many of you right now in the Southern Tier States. And as we move through later winter and into spring, your 90-day window, if you're further north, you're going to be coming into it. But make sure that you're probably at least two to three weeks away from blossom push or leaf push when you're doing your pruning. A little bit more, even more helpful. But I hope that you got a little bit out of this. I hope that it's somewhat informative and it's also a task that we can't turn a blind eye to. We really can't. You have to pay attention to them if you're out there. Take care of what you have, and it will take care of you. I guarantee you that. Hey, as far as tools-wise, I mentioned 
Corona shears, Felco shears, and Fiskars. Those are the only brands that I've ever really used. And hey, check out the description on the, on the YouTube channel. And if you want to learn a lot about more general landscaping education, please take a visit over at uh, youryardcoach.com. Check out the book, check out the course, check out the checklist if you got a project coming up, and uh, it certainly will help you out. And that is what I have for you this week. As always, to your guys' landscape success, I will catch up with you next week. If you have any questions whatsoever, feel free to email me, youryardcoach at gmail.com, or drop a comment. One way or another, I will have it, and I will get back to each and every one of you as long as I have the time. And right now, I got the time. So, bye for now. See you next Friday. Hey friends, Maestro here. Just dropping a reminder to check out the podcast description for discount opportunities and any important links. Also, if you're listening to this podcast on a specific app, please don't forget to rate and review the show. It helps us grow and continue to provide these free podcasts. Again, thanks for listening to this week's show and we'll see you right here next week.